Let's take a moment and pray as we get ready to listen to uh, the Holy Spirit teach us from the Scriptures. God, we don't have to invite you to this place. You're already here. That's true everywhere we are. And um, we don't have to twist your arm to make you be gracious, loving, merciful. Your heart is already full of love. You are love. And you love us enough to teach us truth about yourself, about the world that we live in, about ourselves. Help us to learn that truth today. And to learn it, as Pastor Steve said earlier, not just in some outward way, but inwardly, down deep inside, at the core of who we are, would something change today? I pray that for people who come into this room following Jesus, who want to grow and change to be more like Him. And for people who come into this room not knowing Him, not really wanting to know Him, Still, all of us need to change. Would something change deep down inside us today because you, Holy Spirit, teach us from the Word. We pray. Amen. Okay, now you can be seated. We've been walking through uh, the book of Romans, and uh, we're several weeks in. We're going to look at the third chapter this morning of a, a letter that's about well, it, it's about what it says behind me on that screen, about learning to wrap our hearts around what is real. Um, the Bible uses a lot of language about worship, and it uses a lot of language about worshiping things that aren't worth worshiping. And that language is, is about idols, idolatry. All of this language is about what you wrap your heart around. Worship is wrapping your heart around God. And your heart takes the right shape, the shape it was designed for when it's wrapped around him. And when you wrap your heart around something that isn't God, your heart is, is trying to take a shape it was never meant to have. And that thought just keeps coming up over and over and over again throughout this letter written by the Apostle Paul because Jesus wanted it to be to a church in Rome so that by the end of chapter 16, all those people in Rome would be excited to help Paul go to Spain where nobody had ever been to talk about Jesus before. So the people who had never heard of Jesus could hear of him and begin to wrap their hearts around the reality of who he is. That's why these words were written to teach us to wrap our hearts around the one who is real. So we're going to read this morning from... Chapter 3. Thank you, Donna. So the scripture reading is from Romans 3, verses 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you had lived in Rome in the first century when those words were written, you could ask, why does this story about Jesus need to go to Spain? Why does this little backwater cult, like Roman officials knew about Judaism, it was an ancient religion. But the idea that that some Jews had kind of started this little offshoot that said everything Jews have already always believed is fulfilled in this man Jesus, who, by the way, was crucified by the Roman Empire. So why would this little cult from a tiny little nation um, led? by a man who had been put to death by the Roman officials? Why would it need to go to a place like Spain? And the answer is because through Jesus, crucified and resurrected Lord of everything, God has done something that addresses a universal human concern. And you hear it, the very last verse that Donna read talked about God being just and the one who justifies people who have faith in Jesus. There's this universal human concern for justice, and God has met that concern through grace that's available to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Let's dig in and learn a little bit more about this. Let's talk about God's uh, justice. Hang on a second. We're not supposed to be there. All right. Those look like they belong to a different week. So we're just going to kill that one. Um, oh, Luke's going to fix it. All right. Awesome. Um, here's where we're going to start. Real justice begins with this idea that every human being is under law in some way. Um, what does it mean to be under law? If, if you uh, read verse 9 of Romans 3, it says, We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that um, every human being is obligated to keep some arbitrary rules uh, every human being is obligated to keep some societal expectations that people made up, and uh, most of them are stupid, right? No, that's not what it means. What it means is 
when the Apostle Paul talks about being under law here in Romans, he says he means that every human being knows the difference between right and wrong. Every one of us knows the difference between good and evil. Every one of us has a sense that some things are just and some things are unjust. And we don't want unjust things to be done to us. Every human being is under law in the sense of we we know there's a difference between what is loving and what is unloving. Now, there are a couple different ways you can come to know that. One, uh, back in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, uh, Paul says that this law can be written on your heart. That every human being has this written on their heart. Every human being has, without being told, without being taught or instructed, this sense that there's such a thing as, as good and evil. There's such a thing as right and wrong. Or, in addition to having that written on your heart, you can be, he goes on to address a different group of people, Jewish people who know the Scriptures, and he says they were instructed by God's law. So you can have this law written on your heart and have God's Word, the Scriptures, communicate to you God's perspective about right and wrong and and, uh, what's just and what's unjust. The point is every human being is like that. Whether you got there by having this law written on your heart alone and you've never heard the Scriptures and you don't know who God is and you don't know anything about Jesus, or it's written on your heart and you've heard from the Scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, what God wants you to know about Himself. But every human being is under law and every human being is responsible for doing what we know. If we know there's a difference between right and wrong, we are responsible to do what's right. If we know there's a difference between being loving and unloving, we are supposed to do what is loving. It's not enough to just talk about it, think about it, theorize about it. We're supposed to do it. Every human being is under law, and every human being fails the doing test. This is what Paul says in Romans 3.20 No one will be declared righteous. Another way to translate that word righteous is just in God's sight by the works of the law. Nobody will be declared just by passing the doing test. Did you do what you knew what was right all the time? Did you do what you knew to be just and loving and kind all the time? No. Everybody fails the doing test. Verse 23 says this in a different way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being fails the doing test. Now, if you go back and read from Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about four categories of people and says they've all failed the doing test, and and you you live in one of these four categories. (laughs) Maybe over the course of your life, you're in all four of them. The first group he talks about are people who are obviously and openly guilty of wrongdoing. And as he describes them, we can kind of be like, yeah, you tell them. You tell them they fail the doing test. And then he says, but you who pass judgment on those people whose guilt is open and obvious for everybody to see, you're under judgment too because you don't pass this test either. In fact, you just failed it twice by not doing it and then by feeling superior to other people for not doing it. 
The people who are obviously and openly guilty don't pass the doing test. People who pass judgment, whose, whose guilt is a little less obvious, maybe a little less open, don't pass the doing test. And then he talks about people that today would be described as spiritual but not religious. He talks about people who, who want to do what is right, who want to pursue glory and honor, but who don't know the scriptures. They're spiritual, but they're not religious. And he says, you know what? Their problem is they're inconsistent. That sometimes they do the right they know, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes their consciences accuse them for failing to do what is right. And sometimes their consciences acquit them and say, yeah, good job. You did it right. But even, even the person who is spiritual, wants to do what's right, isn't consistent all the time. It starts early in life, too. This is not something that starts when you're 12 or 22 or 52. And then he talked about people who are spiritual and religious. In his context, he's talking about people who grew up Jewish, knowing the scriptures. They want to do what's right, and they've had instruction from God's word about how to do it. They know it very clearly, but they still don't consistently do. Every human being fails the doing test. Every one of us is self-seeking. Let's go a little bit deeper and say, why, why is it that no human being perfectly, consistently, always does what is right? Why is it that no human being always practices what they know to be kind, loving, just, and true? Why? Well, it's because we are what earlier in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul described as self-seeking. Chapter 2, verse 8, in talking about the spiritual but not religious people, says, those who are self-seeking reject the truth and follow evil. He's talking about every human being. What does that mean, self-seeking? The word translated self-seeking here in the New Testament has to do with being resentful and jealous. There's something about us that becomes fearful and resentful. If there's a truth bigger than me, I get afraid that doing that truth all the time will somehow constrict my life and constrain it and make my life less than what it could be. I was hearing an interview the other day with a dad with a two-year-old toddler, and he was, it's, he was talking about how he had always hoped to have a daughter who would grow up to be strong and, and to, to sort of speak her mind and, and, and to be bold. And uh, now she's two. And he said they have a routine, which is, you know, to check out of the daycare every day. And you have to sign your kid out. And uh, because COVID, um, there's, you know, sanitary wipes and, and um, fresh pins there to do all the signing out. And so the rhythm is every day she takes a couple pins home with her. And, and they go through the house and find dozens of pins scattered around the house. And so the next morning they take them all back with apologies and he said, one day they're checking out and he looks down in the stroller after they've walked past and she's got just fistfuls 
of pens, like a dozen in each hand, like more than she can possibly hold, and, and little handy wipes sticking out of the pockets of her overalls. You know, and she's just two years old, as cute as can be, sitting there, and he's like, okay, I got to do something. Like, that's, we, we have to, we need an intervention. <laughs> I wanted a kid who was strong, you know, <laughs> uh, but something's going wrong here. So he says, he gets down, looks her in the eye, and says, honey, th- these are not your pens. Th- these don't belong to you. you. You can't take all the pens. There won't be anyone for the other families to you. And he said she just began this epic meltdown, right? These are my pins. I need these pins. I have to have all of these pins. These are mine. Like just this screaming. Everybody's passing on the sidewalk looking at him. Some of them are going, I'm sorry. Some of them are just, you know, kind of awkwardly keeping their heads down and just trying to pretend that this isn't happening. But what's happening in the life of that two-year-old is what happens in your heart and mine. Somehow my life will be less than what it could be if I trust someone other than myself. I am self-seeking. It's not a two-year-old problem. It's not a 12-year-old problem or a 22-year-old. It's not something you grow out of by the time you're nearly 53 like I will be in a week. Um, We have this fear that somehow for me to have the life I want, I can't afford to let somebody else or something else constrict me and constrain me. Life will be less than I want it to be if I follow a truth bigger than me. If there is a God out there and he tells me what is right and wrong and I always do what he says is right, I will somehow miss out. Because I can't trust him to tell me what is good for me because I am the one who knows what is best for me better than any. These are my pens. I need these pens. Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. God, you don't know how much I need pens. You don't know what joy these pens will bring to me. You don't know that nobody else will enjoy them as much as I will. You cannot tell me how to live. That's why we all fail the doing test. It isn't because we wake up in the morning and say, "Mm, I think I'll do some evil things today. I think I'll find me some people to hurt today. You know what? I think I don't want anybody to have a pen. I'm going to take them all for myself. We don't wake up thinking like that. We do wake up thinking I'm not sure anybody else in the whole universe knows what is good for me the way I do. And that's why we fail the doing test. Because we're afraid. Afraid that life will be less if we follow a God who is bigger than we are. And that's why we get to this place of rejecting what the Apostle Paul calls glory. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That does not mean that everybody has broken some stupid, arbitrary religious rules. It means everybody has said, These are my pens. I need more pens. Everybody is like that. And that's why we fall short of glory. I wish I had more time to unpack what glory means. 
Read Romans chapter 8 if you want to see glimpses of this. Read the whole Gospel of John if you want to build up a picture of this. But here's my summary. The most perfect person in the whole universe wants to be your father. And he wants to love you as completely as he has always loved his only son, Jesus. Glory starts right there. The most perfect being in the whole universe wants to be that kind of father to you. And he wants to be that kind of father to all of his children. And he wants to bring us all into this family where we're all experiencing the same kind of love that for eternity he has lavished on his son, the son in whom he delights and is perfectly pleased. And that love relationship has been celebrated forever by the Holy Spirit and magnified by the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is drawing people from all over the planet into that love. And he wants us to enjoy that love so completely that Romans 8, 28 says he is bending every detail of this universe toward the good of his family, his children. And one day he's going to send his son to remove every trace of death and evil and pain from our world. Anything that could disrupt our sense of his love for us, anything that could threaten to diminish our experience of his love will be gone forever. That's why Romans 8 ends with this promise that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love that God has for us because of Christ. That's glory. That God wants to be your father. And he wants you to have that kind of experience of his goodness and love forever. If you've got a picture of glory that's like fuzzy, fat babies with wings and harps, burn it. Throw it away. It is not what your Father wants for you. Stop holding on to the pins. Let Him put a better gift in your hands. Now, real justice means you cannot accept that kind of gift from your father and live a life that says I know what's best for me. I'm not going to trust anybody else. Justice means you can't say I want you to be my father but nobody else knows what's good for me like I do. Justice means you can't live a life that says I want this glory But my pens, you can't receive another gift if your hands are already full and clenched. If you've already made up your mind that the greatest good you can ever experience is something you alone understand and fully know and can fully design for yourself, then you can't receive that gift of glory until you, well, be honest. Can we just be honest? That's the first application from all of this this morning. Be honest. You know more about what is good than you practice. You know more about how to love other people than you live. 
That's true of you. It's true of me. It's true of us when we're two. It's true of us when we're 52 and 51 weeks. It's true of us at every stage of life. All of us know more than we do. And all of us want glory, but we don't know how to trust God more than we trust ourselves. All of us want something better than the pins clutched in our hands, but we don't know how to let go. And we're not sure that that God will put something better than those pins in our hands. So just let me keep hanging on to what I can get for myself. We need the same God that we fear and resent and reject to make a way for us that is better than the way we have chosen. You hear the irony in that? The only one who can make a better way for us is the one that we are saying we fear. I'm afraid of you. I don't trust you. But you're the only one who can help me. Just why we don't, in the end, need justice. We need grace. God provides a new way to glory. It's what this and every part of the New Testament that uses language about being righteous, being made righteous, being justified. When you hear that language, that is what comes before glory. Before you can enter into the glory, God has to declare finally over you, your heart trusts me to be a good father. You live like someone who trusts me. You live like someone who isn't afraid that I'm going to take your pins. You live like someone who isn't afraid that trusting me is going to make your life less than what you could make it to be. You have perfectly lived like a person who trusts me and really believes that there is no better shape for your heart than the shape it takes when it's wrapped around me. You have lived faithfully like that. There's only one person who's ever lived like that. It's Jesus. God has made a new way to glory, and Jesus is the new way. All are justified freely by God's grace. How? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God in his grace will declare over you, you passed the doing test because Jesus passed the doing test. I am perfectly satisfied with everything that my son has done. And so you can be my daughter forever. You can be my son forever. Through the redemption that Jesus has accomplished. Redemption is a word about buying someone back. If two armies fight a war and one army takes the prince captive and holds the prince as a prisoner of war, the prince's father and mother, the king and queen, can redeem the prince from his imprisonment by sending someone else to take the prince's place. We love the prince so much we want him back. We don't want him to be a prisoner forever. But the only way to get him back 
is to send someone else to take his place. And so what you hope for is a noble knight in your realm who says, Sire, I know your great love for your son. Send me. I will spend the rest of my life in exile and in prison so that your son can spend the rest of his life at home with you. That's what Jesus did. That's redemption. Jesus said, I will take the place of people who live like this so that they can come live with you, Father, and be your children forever. That new way is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. This righteousness, verse 22 of our text says, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Not to some, if they come from the right kind of background or if they're from the right country or culture. Not to some who almost pass the doing test and just need a little help to get over the hump. No. Not to the good ones or the bad ones or the ones who clean themselves up enough to come into God's family, but to anybody who says the only way into glory is trusting what Jesus has done rather than trying to pass the doing test myself. This is a gift. It's to be received, not earned. And not demanded. Be honest. You, you need to be redeemed. And then be ready to receive the gift that God is offering. You're going to have to let go of your pens. You're going to have to let go of the sense that nobody knows what's good for you better than you do. You're going to have to hand that to the Father and say, you know better than I. And I know I can trust you, and here's the way I know it. You gave your only son to take my place. He went to the end of the path I had chosen, a path that leads to death, so that I can come to the end of the path that he deserves, which is a path that leads to glory and to being loved by the Father forever. Be ready to receive that gift. If you haven't received it before, if you've never been honest with God about your need to be set free, by the work of Jesus, today is a good day to start that honesty before him. If you've done that, if you're like one of the newest members of our church and you've said, Jesus, I want to belong to you forever. I need your grace. Be ready to, to examine that gift that you may have been holding for so long you forgot you received it and treasure it again like it's the first day you ever saw it.
be honest, be ready to receive the gift that the Father has for you through the Son.